Family, I can still remember my first visit to the Statue of Liberty, even though it was more than 30 years ago. Many kids get the chance to visit the Statue of Liberty through a school field trip, but my visit to the Statue of Liberty happened in a much different way. My grandmother was actually a, a school teacher in the public school system, and uh, she had organized this particular bus trip to go to New York City to the Statue of Liberty. She provided that trip for a group of foreign exchange students who were going to school in our county. And so the de desire was to go to the Statue of Liberty and take these foreign exchange students there. Well, some of my family members and I were fortunate enough to kind of hitch along on that special trip, and that was the first time that I ever laid my eyes on Lady Liberty. How many of you here this morning, by raising your hand, how many of you here have at least one time in your life you have visited the Statue of Liberty in person? Let me see, raise your hands. That is a great, great number. Isn't it an amazing experience? It really is fantastic. You know, for those of you who have probably or, or maybe forgotten, the Statue of Liberty uh, did not originate in our country. It was actually a product of France. It was a gift uh, from the French people to the people of the United States. It was given as a gift uh, in the late 1800s as a symbol of the friendship between our two countries that really went back even to the Revolutionary War when our country had its founding. You know, I remember when I first visited the Statue of Liberty as a fifth grader, I just remember being just awestruck at its size and its craftsmanship and its beauty. But, but over the years, family, as I've gotten older and I've learned more about the statue's history, as I've learned a little more about its backstory, you know, I've come to appreciate even more the Statue of Liberty and what she represents. Family, many people don't know that prior to the Statue of Liberty's arrival on our shores, there was a massive fundraising effort to raise money for the statue's pedestal. Well, in order to raise money to have the pedestal that the Statue of Liberty would, would sit upon, uh, all kinds of artists and poets uh, would, would create various pieces of artwork and literary writings, and they put them up for sale. And this was a big fundraising campaign to have the pedestal constructed. Well, one particular poet who uh, put uh, her poetry up for sale was a woman whose name was Emma Lazarus. And she wrote a poem in the year 1883 that was so meaningful and it was so powerful and it was so associated with the Statue of Liberty that eventually her poem was cast in bronze. And that poem hangs today inside the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty. It was put there in the year 19. 03, where it is still visible today. And the title of Emma Lazarus's poem, the title of the poem was called The New Colossus. And I want you to hear that poem today. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed Sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. 
Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Now, friends, what does that poem mean exactly? Well, the original Colossus, the original Colossus was the Colossus of Rhodes. This was a giant statue in ancient times that was actually one of the original seven wonders of the world. But while the original Colossus was erected to demonstrate the strength and the power and the victory of Greece over their enemies, the new Colossus, Lady Liberty, was erected to demonstrate a warm welcome, an open welcome to the hurting peoples of the world who would come to the United States seeking peace and freedom and liberty. Well, Christian friends, we're going to open our Bibles again this morning to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. And today, King Solomon is going to introduce us to an important character, a character who makes a number of appearances in the book of Proverbs, in this masterpiece of wisdom, and that character is called Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom. Family, just like Lady Liberty, stands there in the New York Harbor with her light held high, beckoning the weary peoples of the world to come for her for freedom and for liberty and for peace, Solomon is going to introduce us to Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom, who stands boldly in public places, beckoning needy people to come to her, to come to her for wisdom. Wisdom from God. Wisdom that will help people live skillfully for God in God's world. Friends, let's take our Bibles again this morning. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1 in this message that I've entitled, The Call of Lady Wisdom. Now family, in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, King Solomon is really laying a groundwork. He's laying a foundation for his learners, for his readers. Solomon is calling his readers to incline their ears, incline their hearts, their minds to God's wisdom. Only by opening one's mind, only by opening one's heart, one's whole life to wisdom can a person truly live skillfully for God in God's world. Well, friends, as we come today to this very famous scripture, what does this text teach us about the appeals of Lady Wisdom? Who is Lady Wisdom calling? How is she calling them? And why is she calling them? What relevant lessons can you and I learn today? What can we apply out of this passage to our Christian lives here in the present? Well, friends, in this text today, we want to see what we can learn from three powerful appeals Three powerful appeals that are coming from Lady Wisdom. Now, here's the first one. The first appeal. Lady Wisdom 
appeals freely and openly to everyone. Here's number one, the first appeal. Lady Wisdom appeals freely and openly to everyone. Would you look with me at God's Word? We're in Proverbs chapter 1. Look with me at verses 20 and 21. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. Family, at the beginning of this series, I told you that the book of Proverbs fits into a portion of the Bible that we call wisdom literature. Proverbs is wisdom literature. And there are other books in the Bible that fit into this category of wisdom literature. The book of Job is wisdom literature. So is Psalms. So is Ecclesiastes. So is Song of Solomon. Proverbs is wisdom literature. And family, because it is excellent literature, we would certainly expect, wouldn't we, that there would be some features of excellent literature that appear in Solomon's writing. You might remember back from your uh, language arts classes in junior high, some of the important components that often show up in literature. When you were back in school, your teacher used to teach you about various literary devices. Literary devices are these little tools that writers use, they're communication tools, to help communicate their ideas in a more effective way to their readers. For instance, when you take, a, when you take a, a, an expert author, someone like Stephen King, when Stephen King writes that the swamp was dark and gloomy, those words dark and gloomy are words that we call imagery. Imagery, they, they, they're words that help your mind create the picture. But Im imagery, that's just one type of a literary device. Some of you remember in school, you remember learning about similes. Similes, these are, uh, these are comparisons that are made between things using the words like or as. You pick up a book by a Pulitzer Prize winning author like David McCullough and he might write, President John Adams was as cunning as a fox. And then of course there's personification. Personification is where an author takes an inanimate object, an object that we don't normally think of as being alive in real life, but you take that object and the author describes it as having human characteristics. For instance, take this sentence. The weeping willows danced with the breeze. There's personification. Something that's inanimate is being given life, being described with human characteristics. Well, family, in Proverbs 1, Solomon decides to use this literary tool of personification. He brings to life this female character that we can call Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom. Did you see her characteristics there? In the verses we read, Solomon writes, Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice. She cries out. She speaks her words. So here's Lady Wisdom. She's in all these crowded, busy public places. She's there in the city streets where ordinary people 
are going about their day, they're traveling and they're walking by, they're buying and they're selling, they're doing business and they're living their everyday lives and there's Lady Wisdom right in the midst of them. Scripture says she cries out. She speaks her words so boldly. She wants people to see her. She wants people to notice her. She wants people to take notice that she's there and then to listen to what she's saying. You know, family, as a general rule, I'm not really a big fan of the Message Bible, the Message by Eugene Peterson. It's not really my favorite Bible to use, but I wanted you to hear this very vivid rendering of verse 20 written by Eugene Peterson in the Message Bible. He writes this, Lady Wisdom goes out in the street and shouts. At the town center, she makes her speech. In the middle of traffic, she takes her stand. At the busiest corners, she calls out. Believers, before we go any further, let's stop right now, okay? Let's make two very important applications right here, right now, from God's Word to our lives. Friends, as we think about how this text intersects with our everyday lives, let's notice two things. Let's notice, first of all, Christian friend, that when Lady Wisdom is making her appeal, this appeal isn't only for academic people. It isn't only for the academically minded or the brainiac people who live in the ivory towers, in the upper echelons of academics and schools. Family, stop and see it again. Where? Where did Lady Wisdom make her appearances? Was it in the college classroom? Was it in the Bible college or the seminary? Was it in the Ivy League university? Was it in the graduate school? Was it in the gifted and talented program? No. No. Scripture says when Lady Wisdom came calling, she showed up where ordinary, average, everyday people live and move and shop and do life. The main street, the marketplace, the open squares. So listen, friend, listen. Know today that when the Bible makes this call, this call for you to open your heart to wisdom, you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a writer. You don't have to be a thinker. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be some brilliant mind to embrace God's wisdom for your life. Look, let's be honest. Maybe you didn't get good grades in school. Maybe school wasn't your thing. Maybe you didn't do so well writing papers and memorizing facts about history and, and, and writing, uh, doing various assignments. Maybe that wasn't you. Maybe you dropped out of school. Maybe, maybe you just barely finished high school. Maybe you did a couple credits at the community college, but then you dropped out. Listen, friend, listen, it doesn't matter how far you went up the ladder of traditional education. What matters, what matters is if you are willing to listen and heed the call of Lady Wisdom. Are you willing to open your mind and your heart to the wisdom of God's Word? So, friend, ask yourself today, will you listen to Lady Wisdom? Will you listen to her cries? Will you open your ears to what she wants to say to you? But then secondly, Christian friends, secondly, 
In addition to that, this scripture gives us a great reminder. When it comes to the wisdom of God and when it comes to the gospel message, we need to speak that wisdom and we need to speak that gospel in a way so that everyday people can understand and interact with it. You remember what Paul wrote in Romans 1.16? I gave you the scripture in your notes. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, the truth of the Bible, the wisdom of God, the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ by faith, that truth isn't only for the academic elite. That truth isn't for just the people in the seminaries or the Ivy Leagues. Scripture says it is for all people everywhere who will hear and believe. So what does that mean for you, Christian friend? What it means is this. You and I need to learn how to speak God's truth plainly. Plainly, simply, to all kinds of people. We need to learn how to speak the truth of God, the wisdom of God, the gospel of God. We need to learn how to speak plainly. We need to learn how to speak simply to people, whether they live in a penthouse or a trailer park. We need to learn how to speak plainly to people so they can hear wisdom, so they can hear the gospel. We need to learn how to speak Christians without all the Christianese language that we all use at church. We need to learn how to speak truth to people without using all the $100 theological words that we know, like sanctification, justification, glorification, propitiation. Put those words away for a while when you're talking to people out in the world. Just like Lady Wisdom, you and I need to learn how to hold out the truth to all people, plainly, simply, in an uncomplicated yet uncompromising kind of way. Now, let's move forward, okay? Here's a second appeal from Lady Wisdom, a second summons that she's speaking out. Here's number two. Lady Wisdom appeals to three groups to change their ways. Lady Wisdom appeals to three groups to change their ways. Look at verse 22. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Christian friends, I know a number of you here today are parents. You parents surely know the agony of listening to those agonizing pleas of little children, those toddlers who are in the back seats of your car. And the agonizing cries, you hear them, you hear your kids saying, Mommy, how much longer? How much longer? How much longer? How much longer is this sermon going to go on? Family, just this week I came across a very funny joke about a man who pleaded something similar to his doctor. A man went to his doctor for a complete checkup. He hadn't been feeling well. He wanted to find out what was wrong with him. After the extensive checkup, the doctor comes back into the, the room and he meets with the man with the results of his examination. The doctor says, I'm afraid I've got some really, really bad news. According to all the test results from today, you're dying. And you don't have much time. 
Oh no, that's terrible, the man said. That's terrible. How long have I got? Ten, the doctor said. Ten? Ten? Ten what? Ten what? Months? Ten months? Ten weeks? Ten days? How long, doc? How long, the man pleaded. The doctor looked down at his watch, ticking away, and he said, Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Believers, would you look with me at verse 22? There's an opening phrase here that Solomon writes. Lady Wisdom puts forth a question. It's this earnest question, how long? How long? With as much urgency as she can muster. With all this earnestness, she says, how long? How long, she pleads. Now, family, perhaps you already picked up on it, but look in verse 22. Lady Wisdom offers up this question of how long to three different groups of people. Now, let me just have you remember something with me for a moment. Do you remember back to Psalm 1, verse 1? Psalm 1 is a very famous psalm written by King David. David wrote there this famous scripture in Psalm 1-1. Listen to this, Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That's a very famous verse, Psalm 1-1. When you study that text in Psalm 1-1, David writes there are about three groups of people. But what's so fascinating, family, when you step through Psalm 1, not only are there three uh, people there, three people groups, you actually get this downward progression as you go. As you get with each group, it gets lower and lower, further and further into sin. Well, family, this is what's so fascinating. Now we're looking at a text this morning in Proverbs. Here's David's son. David's son Solomon writes here about Lady Wisdom. And now Lady Wisdom is speaking to three groups, three different classes of people. And it's fascinating. Just like Psalm 1, it seems like there's a definite downward progression that's happening here. A downward progression with each new group that's going further and further into stubborn sin. Now, let's take a moment here, shall we? Let's just highlight these three groups of people that Lady Wisdom is talking to. And I hope you'll jot these down uh, in your notes. I think I've given you a couple spots. You can jot down these three groups. The first one, family, is simple ones. Write that in. Simple ones. Simple ones. Now, in the original Hebrew, the word translated here into our English Bibles as simple ones is really the idea of someone who is naive. They're just naive. They're, it's not they're, they're arrogant. They're not haughty. They're not proud. They're not, they're not stubborn. They're not rebellious or unwilling to listen. No, it's just they're naive. They just don't know any better. They've never been taught. They're, they're, they're inexperienced. You know, thinking about simple ones, I love this charming story that I heard Dr. R.C. Sproul tell on the radio some time ago. Dr. R.C. Sproul did his doctorate over in Holland. And when he was living in Holland, one afternoon, R.C. went out in the front of their house to do some yard work. And his little daughter, Sherry, wanted to come outside and be with her daddy. Well, there was this little stoop right in front of their apartment, almost like a little front porch. And the little girl wanted to come out and be outside when R.C. was outside. And, and R.C. told his daughter, her name was Sherry, he said, Honey, you can come out here, but you have to stay on the stoop. You have to stay right here on this stoop because the road was only like 20 feet away and he didn't want her to get hit by a car. 
Well, R.C. told her, now you stay on the stoop, honey, and he went and started to do his work. Well, he turns around 30 seconds later, and his little girl is down on the sidewalk playing. R.C. goes back over to him. He says, honey, what are you doing? I told you. I told you if you're going to come outside with me, you have to stay on the stoop. She says, okay, daddy. So R.C. picks her up. He walks her back over. He puts her back on the front stoop. R.C. goes back to his yard work. He turns around 30 seconds later. There's Sherry standing five feet away from him again. By now, R.C.'s getting a little frustrated, and he says, Now, Sherry, I told you, honey, I told you, you need to stay on the stoop. And if you don't listen to Daddy, I'm going to have to give you a spanking. She says, Okay, Daddy. So he picks her up again, he walks her over, and he puts her on the stoop. Fifteen seconds later, she's down off of that stoop again. So R.C. goes over to him, he says, Honey, didn't I tell you to stay on the stoop? I told you to stay on this stoop, and if you didn't stay on this stoop, I was going to spank you. And so he spanked her. And she's there crying, and she's sobbing, and she's got tears coming down her face, and she looks up at R.C., and she says, Daddy, what's a stoop? In that moment, R.C. Sproul made a faulty assumption. He assumed that his daughter knew what a stoop was. But she didn't know. She didn't know. She didn't know any better. And in that moment, in that instance, what was she? A simple one. A simple one. Inexperienced. Uneducated. She didn't know. That's the first group. Here's the second group. Scorners. Write that down. Scorners. That's the second group. Now, what's a scorner? Well, family, Dr. Warren Wearsby gives a great definition of a scorner. I think this is in your notes. A scorner is someone who thinks they know everything. And they laugh and they mock at the things that are really important. While the simple one has a blank look on their face, the scorner wears a sneer. I like that. I think that's a good definition. So the scorner is the person who mocks. They sneer, they ridicule, they taunt whenever the truth is being presented. You know, when I think about scorners in the modern day, you know who I can't help think about? I think about Bill Nye, the science guy. Now there's a scorner. Here's a guy who's so respected, he's so adored by the entertainment community, by the scientific community for his kids' programming. They love Bill Nye the Science Guy. He's so outspoken on his beliefs about evolution and global warming and all the latest trends in the scientific community. Uh, they love him for his willingness to get in there and wrestle around and debate those pesky creationists. But you know what? Whenever Bill Nye is brought face to face with the truth of the Bible, whenever Bill Nye is, is being confronted with the truth of Scripture, what does he do? He sneers. He mocks. People try to talk to him about the truth of the six-day literal creation. They talk to him about this worldwide flood. They talk to him about a literal atom. He sneers. He mocks. He scorns. He laughs. He thinks he knows so much, doesn't he? Yet he couldn't be more wrong when it comes to real truth, real wisdom. So that's the second category, the scorners. Here's the third one, fools. Fools. You see how it's going downward? Fools. This is a downward descent into sinfulness. And who's at the very bottom? It's the fool. What's the fool? Who is the fool? According to Scripture... The fool is the person who believes and lives as if God doesn't even exist. So their problem isn't the fact that they're just dumb. 
Their problem isn't that they have a low IQ or that they've never been to school. Their problem is they have a rebellious, stubborn heart. You and I know a lot of fools, don't we? They flat out refuse. They refuse to submit to any kind of instruction. They refuse to submit to any kind of morality. They refuse to submit to any kind of spirituality. All they do is just live how they want to live. They live by their gut. They just live by their basest desires. And Scripture calls those people fools. You know, whenever I think about the fool, I think about the TV show that sometimes I watch, Cops. You ever watch the TV show, Cops? You know, bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, cops. Wasn't it filmed in our own town? Man, what a great thing to make Hazleton famous. Put us on the map, yeah, yeah. You can tell that to your family members. Yeah, cops was in my town. Wow, great. I think about the people that I see on Cops. Don't tell me these people haven't been to school. Yeah, they've been to school, they've been educated, but what gets them in trouble with the law is their complete insensitivity to any kind of normal morality. They are corrupt. These people that you see on the show Cops, they are corrupt, they are morally perverted. Look at what they do on that show. Man, they steal cars and they, they rob banks and they run drug deals, they commit violence with weapons. They run from the cops. Man, they even fight the cops. Fight the cops. And they know in their conscience that these things are wrong. They know in their conscience that what they're doing is wrong, what they're doing is immoral. What do they do? They do it anyway. They do it anyway in stubborn rebellion. So the bottom line, what is it? They're obstinate and they're fools. They're obstinate fools. Well, what's the point? The point is this, Christian friends, Lady Wisdom is calling out. Lady Wisdom is calling out to all three categories of these people, urging them, pleading with them, how long? How long, she says, how long are you going to persist in your gullibility, your scorning, or your stubborn immorality? How long until you wake up? How long until you start listening to the wisdom of God, the wisdom of His truth? You know, I agree, family, with Dr. John MacArthur's assessment of these three groups. MacArthur writes in his commentary notes in his study Bible, MacArthur writes, Proverbs aims its wisdom at primarily the first group. Proverbs aims its wisdom primarily at the first group. That's right. That's right. Out of these three groups, the only group that stands to grow, that stands to mature and develop in any real tangible way is that first group, the simple-minded. Listen, it's never a good thing to be naive. It's never a positive thing to be simple-minded. But the truth is, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay naive and untaught and unlearned and inexperienced. You don't have to stay there. You can grow. You can learn. You can mature, you can change, you can gain skillfulness in morality. You can gain skillfulness in godly living. But guess what? To do that, to do that, you at least, at least, you have to be humble. Humble. You have to be teachable. You have to be humble. You have to be teachable. You have to be willing 
to embrace teaching, to embrace instruction. So believer, let's take a moment right now. Let me let you examine yourself in this moment. Dear friend, as you sit here thinking about Lady Wisdom and how she calls out, can you say that you at least have the humility? Do you at least have the humility, the tender spirit, the teachableness of heart that matches up with that simple-minded person? Now listen, I don't want to insult you. I don't want to say that you, sh you should be naive or that you are naive. But what I am asking is, do you at least have some humility? Do you have that humility, that humble spirit to acknowledge that you don't know it all? You don't know it all. You haven't arrived. You don't have it all together, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally. You don't have it all together. And so you still need to learn. You need to learn. You need God's wisdom. You need lady wisdom in your life. Friend, I'm asking today, is that humility part of you? Are you humble enough to acknowledge that you're not there yet? Do you realize all of your forward momentum in learn, learning, growth, and spirituality is dependent on your humility? Do you realize that? Look in your notes, Psalm 25, 7. Scripture says, God leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble His way. Proverbs 3.34 says, Towards the scorners, He is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. Proverbs 11.2 says it as well. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Oh, friend, I want you to search your heart today. Search your heart today, friend. Make sure you are maintaining that humble spirit, that teachable spirit, so that God can lead you further along in wisdom and in skillfulness and in spiritual life. Would you see the danger? Do you see the danger here? I want you to see it. See the danger of these second two groups. See the danger of those two groups. And commit yourself to never joining their company. Now, let's press on. So far we've talked about two appeals from Lady Wisdom. Here's the first appeal. Lady Wisdom appeals freely, doesn't she? Freely and openly to everyone. Appeal number two, Lady Wisdom appeals to these three groups to change their ways. Here's the third appeal. Don't miss it. It's in verse 23. Number three, Lady Wisdom appeals with strong correction and a hopeful promise. Number three, Lady Wisdom appeals with strong correction and a hopeful promise. Look at verse 23. Lady Wisdom says, Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. You know, family, one of the things that is fast disappearing in our modern day American churches is the presence of rebuke. Rebuke. Do you remember what rebuke is? By definition, a rebuke is a sharp disapproval. It is a pointed criticism of someone or a group of people because of their thinking, actions, behavior, motivations. A rebuke. A rebuke is when someone challenges something that has gone wrong in someone else's life. It's a challenge to that person or those people. It's a challenge with truth. 
It's a challenge with correction. Now, the sad reality is, family, that in these modern times in which we live, when so many churches, so many pastors out there today are so politically correct, they're so seeker-sensitive, they're so therapeutically minded that they have forgotten, they have neglected the instruction of the Word of God, which calls us and even commands us to include rebuke as part of our ministries. Remember what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Paul said, I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Listen, friend, as a pastor, I have a number of jobs that I'm required to do by the Lord Jesus in serving you. My job is to love you. My job is to teach you, shepherd you, encourage you, disciple you, challenge you. I'm to do all those things with very large measures of patience. But there are those times when a pastor must also deliver a stern rebuke. A rebuke. Look, when there's obstinate sin that's going on in a church, there might be false doctrine stirred up. There might be lethargy, lethargic attitudes. Something must be said. Correction needs to be given. A rebuke needs to be said. And nothing, nothing pricks the conscience like a Bible-saturated, spirit-empowered rebuke. Family in Proverbs 1.23, Lady Wisdom gives a rebuke. Look at it. Here's her rebuke. It's a rebuke for the simple-minded. It's a rebuke for the scorners. It's a rebuke to the fools to wake up. Wake up and see the errors of their ways. And she gives them this command. Look at it. Verse 23, the command is what? Turn. Turn, she says. Turn from this path that you're currently on, this path that's leading away from wisdom, away from skillfulness, she says, turn. Turn away from that. Turn back to the way of wisdom. Turn back to the way of blessing. She says, turn away from destruction. And she says, turn back to instruction. But did you notice, family, not only does she give a rebuke in verse 23, there's that stinging rebuke, but it's immediately followed by a promise. A hopeful promise. Look at it. The promise is, surely, she says, surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. So what is this? A little if-then statement. That if-then. If only, if only you will listen to my rebuke and turn. Then, then I will pour out a spirit of wisdom on you. I will pour it out on you like a, like a cloud that opens up with a refreshing shower, like, like, a, like a fresh water spring that comes bursting up out of the ground. Family, when I was a little boy, my grandparents owned a small farm that was right on the border between Maryland and Pennsylvania. Many of you have traveled through the town of Hanover, Pennsylvania. It's where they make the Utz potato chips. My grandparents lived in a farm only a few miles south of Hanover. And their farmhouse on that farm got its water from a freshwater spring. 
And it, this little freshwater spring was only about 50 yards from the house. But not only did the house depend on that freshwater spring, all the fields where they would try to grow crops, all their animals that were down in those fields also needed this freshwater spring. Well, listen, every few years, my grandfather would get his giant John Deere B tractor. He'd get it out of the barn and he'd hook up the big plow behind it. And we would go to the head of that spring, right where the spring starts to come out into the soil. And he would take his tractor and plow and he would, he would bust up all this old, hard soil. He would get it out of the way of the spring head. That way the fresh water could come flowing out much more freely. You see, he didn't want his farm just to have a little trickle of water. He didn't want his crops to have a trickle of water. He didn't want his animals to have a trickle. He wanted them to have a flowing stream. And so he had to get in there. He had to remove that hard soil, and then the water would flow. Christians, this is the call for you and me this morning. This is the call that goes out to all people everywhere. If only we will hear. If only we will really hear. If only we will turn. Turn to the wisdom of God. He promises to pour out His wisdom on us. He promises to give us His grace. He promises to give us His salvation. And listen, it's not going to be a trickle. It's no trickle, friend. What God gives is a strong stream of amazing grace. And it will forever transform your heart and your life. You know, perhaps you're here today, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Even now, you're listening to God's Word right here. You're feeling the conviction in your heart that you haven't been walking according to God's wisdom. You haven't been walking according to His Word. You can see now that you have been a scorner. You can see you've been a mocker. Maybe you've even been a fool. You've been in foolish denial that God exists. You've been in foolish denial that you are a sinner by nature, that you're guilty before this holy God. Friend, if God is speaking to your heart today, if He's pricking at you with His conviction, won't you heed the instruction of this text? The instruction is, turn. Turn. Turn away from your sins with real repentance of your heart. And then turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that God sent to be your Savior. Friend, God loves you so much. He cares about you. He doesn't want to see you stay on this foolish path. This is the path that leads to destruction. Physical destruction, mental destruction, emotional, relational, and yes, even spiritual destruction. Turn to Jesus Christ. Confess your brokenness. Confess your sin. And believe on Jesus as your Lord and Master. And friend, when you do that, when you confess your sin and invite Jesus to be your Lord, the Bible says God will pour out His Spirit on you. And God will make His Word, His wisdom known to you in ways that you have never known before. Oh friend, would you hear God's rebuke today? The rebuke to you, friend, is to turn. Turn from your sin, turn from your foolishness, and turn to Jesus Christ, the Savior. Well, friends, as we close this morning, I hope that this deeper look into the pleadings of Lady Wisdom, I hope it's been a great encouragement 
for your heart today. And especially, it's been a great motivator for you today, Christian friend, to stir you and to spur you on to keep up the pursuit of biblical wisdom. Family, next week, when we come back next Sunday morning, we're going to finish out the rest of this section. Solomon is going to show us the painful consequences, the painful consequences of rejecting the persistent pleas of Lady Wisdom. But for today, as we let this text take root in our hearts, let me challenge you, Christian friend, take what you've heard today. Think about it the rest of the day. Meditate on it. Think long and think hard about what you've heard today from the Word of God. And then ask God to help you. Ask God to open your mind and open your life to the influence of Lady Wisdom. You know, family, I'll never forget it. That very first time I got off the ferry in New York City and came face to face with the Statue of Liberty. Wow! What an amazing experience. And you know what? As I grow older and I learn more about the statue's backstory, as I learn about the Statue of Liberty's history, you know, the more I appreciate her. I appreciate the values. I appreciate the ideals that are captured there by Lady Liberty. But listen, friends, for as much as I love and appreciate Lady Liberty as an American, let me tell you, as a Christian, there's another lady I love even more. Another lady that I've come to appreciate with all my soul, and that's Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom. So believer, as you go out for a new week, would you ask the Lord to attune your ears and attune your heart to the pleadings and the teachings of Lady Wisdom so that you can live skillfully for God in God's world. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.